Good morning. Um, first of all, just thank you for coming to this seminar this morning. We're delighted to see so many of you. Um, as Alia said, my name is Jude Cairns and I am the Chief Executive of Love for Life. We'll fill you a wee bit more and a wee bit more about that in just a moment. Um, but importantly, we felt it was important for this seminar to let you know that I am married. And so, of course, doing this seminar, my, my marriage is perfect. Um, I've got everything sussed and I am totally feeling smug today, okay? Because that's the only criteria of course, that I would be allowed to come and do a seminar about marriage. So, yep, marriage is a massive blessing. I've got it sorted. Everything's perfect. Is that okay? My name's Alwyn. Um, I'm single, and I have no struggles with that at all. So um, just to say that we're both in a really good place to be able to do this. Um, seriously, what as we come today, we recognize that every single person here has their own story and their own experience. And as we open up this conversation, which is what I believe we're doing today, what we're doing is only touching the surface, maybe of the discussions that we've had, but what we want to get to is the heart of God's goodness for all of us here. Um, So yes, thank you so much. And it's a privilege for us to be here. Okay, so we work for Love for Life and as an organisation we are delivering relationships and sexuality education mostly to young people across Northern Ireland. Uh, This past year we've delivered to over 60% of our post-primary schools and 39% of our primary schools have received our programmes. Every single young person that we meet matters and so this year we we spoke and presented to 37,334 young people all getting a value-based message around relationships and sexuality education in our schools. It is a privilege and an honour and we recognise the challenging times that we are living in and we want to do this work well. Uh, But more and more we're reaching out and we want to be part of a voice that is equipping the church and so today we see our role as helping us to look a wee bit more at God's model and how we might understand it and so during this seminar we're going to have a look at some of the cultural messages around marriage, uh, some of our church messages around marriage. Is there a difference? Are we are we presenting a different story from that of culture. We're then going to think about this whole idea of marriage being the gift and singleness being a gift um, and just how we might unpack that a wee bit more. And then the, the, the last part of the seminar, we're going to think about how can we steward singleness and marriage better and how can we strengthen singleness and marriage better as we go through and we want to be really practical and start to think about what we can take away from this um, seminar today to our contexts. Can ever, I know some people have arrived, can you all hear me? I know that's a really silly question because if you can't you're not going to answer but yeah we're all good? Okay brilliant. Um, so as we look around us today in culture uh, I kind of sense that we're living in a culture that is just waiting to be swept off its feet. You know, as we ponder some of these popular TV shows, they present a message of romantic love and pursuit. You know, marriage at first first sight, don't tell the bride um, and the bachelor. It's all quite frivolous. Um, Nothing's really taken too seriously, but actually there's something very serious at heart. We're caught up in a quest for happiness that is found in this romantic love. You know, you meet someone, you fall in love, and repeat after me, you live. Good. You're all awake. I love that. Um, And millions of viewers are tuning into these programs and many others in that pursuit and that quest for happiness and love. Often they follow, and what follows is more vulnerable and often chaotic attempts to fall in love. It's not always positive, and it's not always good. Because there's nothing better than being in love by culture's standards and finding a soulmate, um, you organize and you plan the dream wedding, um, and then you live happily ever after. Our own stats, um, as we present to those young people in schools, we ask them for their feedback from their attitudes and behaviours. And as we do so, it may surprise you to know that 80% of our 15-year-olds today in our schools think, I would like to get married at some stage in my future. In a culture that is not only making marriage everything, but also belittling it to nothing, I am encouraged to think that 80% of our 15-year-olds are still thinking that this is something positive. It's something that they might aspire to in their future. 
But this points us to a desire and culture, to something more than just ourselves. It points us all, it gives us all a spiritual longing to find that deep meaning beyond ourselves, to be loved. The reality is that nearly half of our 20-year-olds today will not marry. And for some, it won't be because they don't want to. For others, they may choose not to. Some will cohabit. Some will engage in ongoing, non-committal relationships. Some will stay single and celibate. And the backdrop, however, to all of these messages is a culture that is impacting how we view relationships. I guess our culture at the moment has become instant, hasn't it? If you want something, you don't have to wait. You can buy it on credit. If you're bored and you don't want the thing anymore, you can get rid of it or give it away. And certainly today, if something is broken, we don't really invest in fixing it. Quite often, we just buy a new one. I suggest we've become impatient, lazy and bored. And while that might be okay for things like our washing machine, I wonder are these same messages creeping into how we do relationships and how culture views relationships? If I want him, I can have him now. If I'm tired of her, I'll move on. And if it's broken, it'll take too much effort and energy to fix So it's done. Relationships in our culture today are no longer built to last. Cohabiting relationships are more the norm. But our research shows that cohabiting relationships, they have a lower level of commitment, higher rates of infidelity and conflict, and are significantly more likely to end than married relationships. Despite what we think, divorce rates in the UK are not on the increase. Divorce rates have fallen since the 1960s. But the main driver of family breakdown is the breakup of unmarried couples. I've just realised I haven't been clicking. (laughs) Okay. Um, So in a culture, um, as as we look at our 15-year-olds and we ask them what their intentions are, one thing has dramatically changed over the years. 15 years ago, 46% of our 15-year-olds said they would like to live with someone before they got married. Last year, that figure had risen to 70%. 70% of our 15-year-olds are thinking, I plan to live with someone first. So, This is the backdrop. This is what's going on. And in a culture, in many ways, marriage is presented as the ideal. Yet increasingly, we have lost our shared understanding of its meaning and its importance in society today. It's been reduced to a legal document, a commitment between two people that's intended to be lifelong. And where if it isn't working, it's no big deal. You just break up. The sexual revolution has also devalued sex and detached it from marriage and procreation. The emphasis is on me, my needs, my desires, and we can reduce even the sexual activity from being with another person. And this is seen no more obviously than in the industry, the porn industry. In one website, in one year, there's some stats I'm about to show you here that I hope will shock you. Um, So in 2018, in one website, in one year, There were 33.5 billion visits every day. Now, that number is too huge for me to get my head around. So while we break it down, it's 92 million every day on one site in one year. That's more than the populations of Canada, Poland and Australia all combined every single day on one site. We then consider how many hours of pornography are being watched And whenever we combine that, it is a massive, massive number that I can't even say. But if there's one number that you take away from this today, it is that it is 6,300 centuries worth of time on one website in one year. 6,300 centuries worth of time on one website in one year. Sex has become a commodity. It is something to be used and we can choose our type of preference as we watch and consume. What is this doing 
to our view of ourselves and to our view of each other and to our view of sex. What is this doing to future marriages, future leaders, future parents? Again, our 15-year-olds in schools today, we've asked them about their online activity. 37% of our 15-year-olds have accessed online pornography. And while it is not just a male issue, it is also a female issue. When we ask them, the boys in that, that year group, 30% of them are accessing pornography every week with an additional 26% every day. That's 56% of our 15-year-old boys are regularly accessing pornography. These figures break our hearts and we want to present a different story to our young people. And we as church need to engage more and more with this information. We joked at the start, neither Alwyn and I are perfect But actually, we need to step out and we all need to have a voice if this behaviour is going to change for our young people. We can't wait till we're perfect to be dealing with this. We need to do it today. And you know, as we consider this consumer culture, sex has become that commodity, as as have relationships. We can choose everything that we might want. Um, We are faithful and we might be committed until something better comes along. But the idea of sexual abstinence or waiting is somehow seen in this culture to deny ourselves, um, to deny even our humanity and our personhood as we consider it. And because sex is so intrinsically linked to fulfillment and happiness, that is what has happened. Okay, and just as we unpack that, there's already so many issues that we could do a whole seminar on. So again, we're, we're touching the, the, the surface of issues, but we want to give that cultural background before we ask the question, so what are we teaching in church? What are we talking about in church around relationships and sex? Have we even started the conversation? Or is it a, a conversation that happens maybe once a year in a youth group? Is it, is it the youth conversation that we have and then we've ticked the box that we've done the sex talk and then we live in this culture where it's constantly in our face and we're really passionate about helping and equipping the church to start the conversation. I wonder, are we waiting as church to be swept off our feet? And where does singleness fit into this conversation? I think as we talk about a biblical understanding of relationships and sex, um, we need to know what that is. Firstly, we need to understand it. Um, I wonder, do we present marriage as the romantic ideal in church? Do we believe that is the road to, to happiness and to contentment? Are marriage and singleness both presented as intrinsically good Or do we try to make an excuse for singleness? So I'm just going to go through a few cliches here that you may have heard in church or we may have picked up along the way. So you might have heard, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. By this, we're communicating that God's blessings are somehow earned by our own contentment. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. By this, we communicate that God requires singles to be emotional martyrs and that marrieds are off the hook. They have an opt-out. Or what about this? A vacant house is better than a house with the wrong tenant. This suggests that a single person's life is empty and lonely, but it could be worse. We need to be careful of some of the cliches that we use or perhaps we've picked up as we talk about marriage and singleness. I wonder, have we relegated singleness to plan B? So if we don't get the fulfillment of marriage, then we need to settle for plan B. And if we're somehow communicating that either in in, in teaching or in just how we live. I suppose one of the key messages that we have for church is that by not teaching on it, you're saying something. Okay, So by saying nothing, you're saying something. 
And how we live together communicates a message to the church about both marriage and singleness and what we want to understand by it. So we just want to take a pause here and take a moment. Um, And perhaps if you're here with somebody you know or you're not, maybe turn to somebody and introduce yourself. But just take a moment and reflect on these two questions. What surprised you about what you've heard so far? And what can you identify with? So this is the start of a conversation. Um, What has surprised you and what can you identify with? Just take a couple of moments to chat. Okay, let's, let's come back together and bring our conversations together. What we want to move into in this next section is, is looking at God's picture for marriage and for sexuality and then for singleness within that. So we want to, we want to understand God's understanding of sexuality, both in terms of marriage and in terms of singleness. Because we're living in a confused time. Culture is confused. It's searching for meaning. It's searching for purpose. And, it's, and, it, and we are the people that are meant to live it out before culture. So we need to understand it in order to live it. So what we want to do is just go through three gifts that, that are part of our one story. So Simply, marriage is a gift of God, singleness is a gift of God, and family is a gift for all. So we're going to just chat through those three points. And you may be here this morning and single, and actually you may be going, but I don't want this gift. For, mar- for people who are married in our culture, people choose to marry. But if you're here and you're single, you may feel that you don't want this gift. You may be here and married, and you may be living in a difficult marriage and wishing that this was not the gift you had chosen. So as we open up this conversation, we realize that for both marrieds and singles, there could be marrieds and singles here that are holding their gift with some pain. But as we talk about this gift We need to appreciate the gift, but in order to do that, we need to appreciate the gift giver. We need to know and understand the gift giver. And what we want to say from the start, too, is that with each gift comes unique challenges, opportunities, and responsibilities. So let's open up, firstly, the gift of marriage. So marriage is a gift of God. As we consider the biblical model for marriage, we see that it is a sacred covenant between one man and one woman. Contentious in today's society, but nonetheless clear in scripture. We find that this blueprint for marriage is found in Genesis 2, 24, where it states, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Jesus repeats this blueprint for marriage when he's answering a question about divorce. And we find in both Mark and Matthew these words. In addition to that, we also find what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. There is a blueprint, there is a model, and it is a sacred covenant, fully explained and described in scripture from beginning to end. Paul repeats the account, the creation account of marriage then in Ephesians 5. He speaks of love and honor and respect that a husband should have for his wife and a wife for her husband. Marriage comes with particular responsibilities and it represents something really profound. This mystery of marriage is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church from Ephesians. There is something quite special about what we're talking about today. And I'd love us to grasp that heart and that mystery afresh. Do you know, as we think of the story of scripture, have you ever thought of it as a complete love story from beginning to end? You know, the Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. So as we think of the wedding in Genesis, it then ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding. And what we can see is that throughout scripture, marriage from beginning to the end 
is God's idea. Everything in between is, is part of that story and part of that love story that he is writing on our hearts. Unlike culture, our Christian model for marriage creates a particular bond that is more than just a legal document. It is a covenant. It is saying always. It is saying forever. It is saying till death us do part. It is an enduring and an unconditional promise of love. It's just as well that it's not based on how I feel today, but I am making my commitment to you forever regardless. This is totally countercultural. How we feel today is what is driving so many of the decisions and the chaos that is being created. But here we have a covenant that steps above the feeling and creates a promise for our futures. Tim and Kathy Keller have a brilliant book. It's out in the bookstall, The Meaning of Marriage. I would highly recommend it. And what they have said is that wedding vows are not a declaration of present love, albeit we hope the present love exists and we want to celebrate that. But they're not just a declaration of a present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. I will choose to love you forever, regardless. Christian marriage carries a particular dignity today. And because it is designed, that is because it is designed to reflect the love that Christ has for his people. It is not just a picture of a love between two people, but this is God's story, God's idea from beginning to end of scripture. And so it points to something more. It points to his model and his love for his people. As Sam Albury puts it, marriage is not ultimate, but it points to something that is. His book is also in the bookstall, Seven Myths About Singleness. And that is another book that we would recommend if you want to dig in deeper. So the picture is here. It is beautiful. And we need to understand it, understand the context for it, and understand what God is saying to us, his people, regardless of whether we are married or not. He has given us a picture that marriage is indeed a gift. Okay, and as we come on to look at um, singleness as a gift of God, and we turn to Paul's letter to the church, his first letter to the church in Corinthians chapter 7. And in this, he uh, writes both to the, to the marrieds and to the unmarrieds. Chapter 7, verse 7 says this, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. We need to hear those words. Both are gifts from God. God is the gift giver. So if you're single, you're not less of a person. And maybe today you just need to hear God's affirmation over you that your, your status today is, is a gift of God. Also, I think in, in this cultural moment, we need to hear that we're not wasting our sexuality if we're single. Singles are sexual beings created in the image of God, just as married people are. And it's worth remembering that all of us if you're married, all of us have been single and perhaps will be single again. So singleness is not wasting your sexuality. Our sexuality, our living and relating in this world as male and female, is not something that's just bestowed on those who get married. It's integral to who we are. It's integral to our intellect, to our emotions, to our relationships, to our spiritual life. We all have desires to be known and to be loved. That is how we were made. But we're all called to channel our desires for intimacy into healthy, God-honoring relationships. As singles, we're not repressing our desires, but we're controlling them and we're directing them towards relationships and behaviors that are God-honoring. 1 Corinthians 7, um, again, the verses 32 to 35, Paul is talking about the benefits of singleness. 
singleness does give freedoms and opportunities that are not open to married people, just as marriage gives freedom and opportunities that are not open to single people. We have the opportunity to use our time and our energy to invest in others, to invest in things that married people perhaps are not as free to do. Our lives can be less complicated. But again, like the myth suggests, the danger of that is that singles are seen as the emotional martyrs, or we become that ourselves. So we pour ourselves out for others. And so perhaps a reminder to us that it's, it doesn't mean that we should fill our lives with busyness if we're singles. And perhaps busyness for all of us is a way that we mask our own sense of loneliness or disappointment. As singles, what we need to do is develop healthy relationship with ourselves, with others, and with our Creator. Singleness opens opportunities, but we shouldn't fill those with busyness. We should ask God, and we'll come on to look at that, how do I take these opportunities and steward them really well? One of the things that Paul says in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, to both married and to the unmarried, is that time is short. And in that context, he was writing to a church under pressure and in persecution. But I feel that's a message for all of us. Time is short. Let's not get caught up in culture, the culture's pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. Let's get caught up in God's kingdom purposes for all of us. Time is short. For singles, don't wait until you're married for your life and your ministry to start. Start right now. Let me read um, Paul's words in verse 17 of chapter 7. And this is both for marrieds and for singles. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. And so as we consider these gifts... We want to move in now to a time where we start to think, how do we steward these gifts better? Um, and, you know, sometimes things are difficult and sometimes things are simple. Uh, and to, th- what we're going to present today is a little model of ABC. It's as simple and as difficult as ABC. God has given us the resources and the ideas and the model and the, the support all for all of us to steward this well. And so we want to start and think about this together. So first of all, our A is our attitude. How do we steward our attitude towards being single, towards singles, towards being married, towards married? How do we do that better? For some people, we've already touched on this. And I guess to say, as we were preparing for this seminar, we felt a heavy weight um, in that we want to celebrate. We want to have a really, really positive attitude to all of this. uh, But we also recognize a weight in the the heaviness of what some people might be carrying around this. But our attitude um, for some people who are single, they may not choose that. They may not have chosen that. They may have been married and now they're not. For lots of reasons, they may choose a different path. Or for those who are married, they may choose a different path even today. Each of us today, we can't choose the context we're in today as such, but we can choose how we respond to the circumstances that we are surrounded by and that we are in. We can choose how we respond to our circumstances. And often the challenge for all of us is not our state of marriage or singleness. It is the state of our own self-centeredness. That's the challenge that most of us will face on a daily basis. This has and will always be our greatest challenge. Me, I, mine. We just happen to live in a culture that is all about the me, my, mine. It's all about that pursuit of what is for me, what I deserve, that entitlement. And it is all about the pursuit of entitlement and happiness and fulfillment by finding your own personal fulfillment. So not only is that our natural challenge, it's also a challenge that we are surrounded by. 
And it can be difficult to get above that. Our pride can be reflected in our desire also for self-sufficiency and self-containment. I don't need to ask for help. I've got this. I don't need to say I'm struggling because that wouldn't reflect well. I don't need to say, please help me because that would make me sound needy, lonely and maybe even desperate. We present a picture that is tidy, complete and as families quite often we don't want to let anyone in too close because they might see that it's not all good and they might even come in and mess it up. I wonder how our hearts are postured today. Yet God wants us to transform these attitudes, the me, my, mine. He wants to transform us and we see that throughout scripture in many, many areas, including this one. He calls us to change our attitudes to reflect his. He calls us to look outside of ourselves, to start to see that it's not all about me, my, mine, but actually it's about what is going on around us. And our attitude, when we start to change from that perspective, we start to change the culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said that we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and cancelling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We want to live in the right direction. We want the right priorities to be the centre of our attitudes towards both marriage and singleness. And I wonder how ready all of us are to be interrupted today. So our attitude is something that is, uh, can be self-centered. And this can be reflected then in our behaviours. So as we, as we reflect on our own attitudes... Um, and as we, God's Spirit is at work in us to shape and change us, we have a responsibility in terms of what we do. We have a responsibility in our behaviors. And as we talk about this, we remember that none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived at the call that God has for all of us in terms of discipleship. But just we, we can see reflected right through the New Testament what God calls us to in terms of our actions and our behaviors, the intentional living on the path to holiness. So, for example, Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 talks about throwing off those things that hinder, that sin that entangles, run with perseverance the race marked for us, not the race marked for somebody else or the race you wished you were running, but run with perseverance, the race marked for each of us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured such opposition so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. James 1.23 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror, and then forgets what they see. And then that wonderful verse in Philippians 4, 8, about what we are to think on, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And in light of the, con- the cultural context that we've looked at, our behavior should mark us out as distinctive as God's spirit at work in us and our efforts at seeking to be more like Jesus, it should mark us out as distinctive. And it's distinct from the cultural message of self-pleasure. If it feels good, do it. Actually, Christ is is calling us to Christ-likeness, not to satisfy our own pleasures. And again, we need to be careful as Christians that we're not saying that pleasure is bad, but actually what we're called to as Christians is meaningful intimacy. We're called to pleasure with purpose because it's, as Christians, it's only truly pleasurable if it's meaningful. So what we're, what we're pursuing is meaningful intimacy, first with our creator and then with those around us. So joy, Christian joy, is not settling for our culture's understanding of happiness or fulfillment. 
Instead, it's settling for the knowledge that God is in control of all the details of my life and living in such a way that we're pointing others towards his joy and joy in his presence every day. I just want to share some verses from Psalm 16, which is a psalm written in trust of God. And it says this in verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have good things and God does not give us good things. And as a single person, that does not mean that I'm saying marriage is not a good thing. These are all good things. But apart from God, we have no good thing. God is our ultimate Do we trust in God's goodness for us today? The psalm ends with this. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In a culture that's talking about pleasure, let's find and direct our understanding of pleasure towards meaningful intimacy. And let's find that in in serving and loving one another really well. Let's not present Jesus as a killjoy. Let's remember that actually Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. In John 2, if we think about that, Jesus as a single man who knew he would never marry was at a wedding. So Jesus was not a killjoy and he he was for marriage. So let's honor meaningful intimacy. Let's, let's honor sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. And as singles, we're not denying our sexuality by honoring sexual intimacy in marriage. Actually, I think it's a powerful and potent um, message to our culture to have singles who are living in the joy of the Lord um, and presenting actually the sufficiency of the gospel and the sufficiency of the joy of knowing Jesus. And so that's our attitude, followed by our behavior. And the last ABC is our commitment. Um, If culture is committed at the moment to, to calling us to that pursuit of ourselves that we've already talked about, you can get whatever you want, be whoever you want to be, if only you believe in yourself and work hard enough. The commitment that culture is calling us to is ourselves. And it's important that we understand what's going on in culture so that we can see how what we have to share is countercultural. What is our alternative? I wonder if you are single or if you are married, where is your commitment placed? What are you committing your time to and your energy to? What are you presenting or how are you using your gifts in, in church or in service or in many other ways? How are you committing your time and your giftings? What are your priorities in life? Paul reminds the singles and marrieds in Corinth that time is short and Alwyn has already touched on that. And I guess I'd love us to not only get to the point where actually we're getting on with what God has equipped us and gifted us and called us to in many other ways, but we're also really seeing that time is short and we need to be getting our heads around some of this stuff and sharing it with a culture that might actually be wanting to hear it and see it. I wonder, dare we believe today that if we committed ourselves so fully to this picture that what we have is actually a missional opportunity to culture. That actually, as culture and as people are striving after that pursuit of personal contentment, that actually they might find that outside of themselves, they find everything. What if we could present that and be so committed to that pursuit that culture might also want to see what, we, what else we have to offer as Christians and what God can do in their lives. Paul reminds us, always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we will know that our labor is not in vain. Nothing we do for him, nothing we do for him will ever be wasted. What are your priorities? How are you using your giftings? How are you pursuing every opportunity to commit to his ways and his plans? Jesus, in three of his parables, the ten bridesmaids, the parable of the talents, and the account of the sheep and the goats, all point 
to the fact that our accountability and our responsibility rests with how we, with before what God has given us. Everything we have and everything we need does come from God, but we do have a responsibility in how we use that. And God is bringing us to a point where he wants to see us like Christ and he wants to use our lives in the lives of others too. If, if we're married, my call is to prioritize our marriages. We do need to look after our marriages. I've been heartbroken as I look at friends and their marriages are crumbling. And sometimes it, it's not their fault. It's not that they've done something wrong. But actually, I think we need to prioritize our marriages. We need to be investing. Nobody else can do that for us, just ourselves. And, and here's why, because not only is that our call and a commitment that, that we are making on a daily basis to our spouse, but actually our culture is stronger. Our communities are stronger when they have strong marriages in their midst. The leading, it leads us to a flourishing and strengthening of the whole, not just a few, when we have strong marriages. And we can all then be part of building up the family together. We need to have wider arms and longer tables. Anyone who knows me knows I love my food. And there's nothing I love more than having people around our table. Let's become people who stretch out our arms, who welcome in and sit at tables with one another. There's going to be more about that in a wee minute or two. So singleness and marriage, they're both gifts from God. And we all have a responsibility to think about how we are stewarding the gifts that we've been given, both as marrieds and singles, but also other gifts and talents and abilities that we have. But the third gift that we're going to look at is something for all of us, and that's family. Okay, and in this final section, in preparation for this, what we did was we, um, we asked some of our Christian friends and family for their own reflections on marriage and singleness. And so we're going to have some quotes that will come up on the, the PowerPoint in red, and this is what people have said to us. So again, it's the start of a conversation, and um, we've just, we, we just want to, to use these experiences to start this conversation. Because family is a gift for all. Again, Ephesians 4 tells us that we are one body, that we are joined by one spirit. We have one God and Father over all of us, who is through all and in all. We're called to unity. We're called to be family together. And so we're going to go just through a few points which we want to share in terms of strengthening this family unit and strengthening the gifts within it. Firstly, opening up our lives. Um, we love the message version of um, the Sermon on the Mount where we, we, Jesus talks about being salt and light. Verse 16 says this, Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. What we all need are deep, dependable, healthy relationships in our lives. We all need that. And it'll look differently how people build those, depending on the type of person you are. It'll look different how those are built. But we all need those. We need to take time as church family to listen to one another, to listen to one another's stories Everybody's experience of marriage and singleness is different. Everybody here has a different story. There's not a one-size-fits-all experience. This was one quote um, from one of our friends. I think taking risks to invite folks into your home is also key. No worries about tidiness, decor, chaos, cuisine, whatever. It's getting together that counts. And singles should reach out just as much as marrieds. There are times, as we've said, for self-care. There are times for marrieds and for families to have time just together, and that is important. There's time to strengthen those core relationships, but when those core relationships are strong, everyone wins. As a single person, I love being part of family and married couples' lives. I don't feel like an add-on or an extra 
And sometimes, again, we, we might think that. We might think if you, if you just invite the singles, then that's an, it's a kind of an awkward add-on. We love it. We love to be part of family and, and family tables. So invite us, open up your homes. And as singles, we need to do that as well. We need to actively be involved in others' lives. So when we do it well, everyone wins. When we do it well, everyone wins. The second point when in strengthening is, is overlaps. Sometimes in our, in our fellowships, we tend to segregate. So we have a group for the singles. We have a group for marrieds and families. And perhaps in doing that, we might um, suggest that there are first and second bests when it comes to our family life together. Um, but don't put up walls or stick primarily to groups of singles, though that will be important to and necessary at times. So that was a reflection of a single person. Don't stick to those groups because actually life experiences cross over. There are many that life experiences that we will have in common with one another. So perhaps for a single person, the pain of not having children may be shared by a married person. It might not just be a single person's grief. So there are times when it is good to share with people perhaps that are similar life experiences and circumstances, but there are also overlaps, and so it's good to perhaps break down some of those um, barriers that perhaps we put up. So what we're saying is don't neatly package marriage and singleness as if all the singles experience life this way and all the marries experience life this way. Life is much more complex than that, but we are all part of the same body. Our stories are unique, but we're part of the same body. So how do we embrace those overlaps in each other's lives? And our third area for strengthening is thinking about how we live out of the box. I don't know if you know, um, but there's kind of three zones that most of us live in at some point or another. There's our comfort zone, there's our stretch zone, and there's our anxiety or our fear zone. And did you know that actually where we find the most joy and where we grow the most is not in our comfort zone, but it's actually in our stretch zone. When we settle in our comfort zone, we become complacent and apathetic. And actually, we don't feel as fulfilled. When we're in our fear zone, it's a bit scary. But actually, if we're living between our stretch, fear back to stretch, it's, it can be good. And so as we think about strengthening today, I wonder what would put you out of your comfort zone when it comes to this whole marriage and singleness thing. What is it that you need to do to stretch yourself? You know, even a simple thing like turning around and talking to somebody in church, for some people, will push them out of their comfort zone. What's the worst that can happen? For others, it will be to invite someone you don't really know round to your, your home for dinner. For others, it might be to go out to the cinema or organize an event or something for, to gather people. Whatever it is, I want us to be thinking in this section, what are the really practical things that I can do as a result of what we've been sharing this morning? What will take you out of your comfort zone as you return back to your place of work, to your family, to your church? Are we sitting comfortably? Or are we living a wee bit out of that box? A wee bit out of the box. We need to be stretched. And I wonder how far we're reaching out of that box. Again, we want to be welcoming. And we want to be embracing both the stranger and our family and friends. It doesn't always need to be strangers. But actually, how are we welcoming and how are we embracing? The author, Rebecca McLaughlin, um, has commented on the following things. Her husband, she said, has three rules of engagement when we go to church. I love these. Three rules of engagement. An alone person in our gathering is an emergency. An alone person in our gathering is an emergency. Now listen, there's many a time I walk into church, sometimes on my own, and I don't want anyone talking to me. There's moments in my life where that's what I, I need silence and I need stillness and I need to be on my own for a wee bit. But you'll pick that up pretty quick. 
But I wonder how many people walk into our churches, into our gatherings, into New Horizon, and they would just love someone to sit and chat to them. And a lone person in our gathering is an emergency. Secondly, friends can wait. Do you know that, like, hustle and bustle, maybe it's just us, we're always last out of church, hustle and bustle at the end of church and you chat, 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 chat to all your friends? Yeah, I love that. Absolutely, there's a time and a place for it. But if there's others who have just walked in and they're not part of your family of church, friends can wait. So when a lone person is an emergency, friends can wait. Introduce a newcomer to someone else. Introduce a newcomer to someone else. This is basic stuff, isn't it? But actually, I think we could change lots if we put this into practice. I'd love us all to be missionaries in this way when we go out of New Horizon this week and back to our churches. I'd love us to think this time next year that actually there's loads more people that you know in your church family. There's meals you've had. You've stretched yourself. You've stepped out. And I, I could guarantee you, you will be blessed as a result. Everyone wins when we strengthen each other. The welcome that we give will speak volumes. But to do that, sometimes it will feel awkward. Get over it. We need to get out of that comfort zone. We need to get into that stretch zone. And let's start changing and welcoming lives. The fourth area is our options. Do you like that these all begin with O? We worked really hard to get these all to begin with O. Okay, so options. Singleness is not a curse. This is a quote from our friend. Singleness is not a curse, but it's not often a choice either. However, we do get a choice as to how you're going to live your life. Living it to the full or feeling like it's second best. I wonder how we're preparing the next generation I wonder what little comments we make to them. Well, so I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old at home. And the comments, you know, all meaning so well. Well, any girls on the go? Any boys? Oh, wait till it's your turn to get married. All of that. Totally well-meaning. I'm sure all of you have experienced this. Is there no one on the seat? All of that. The pressure is there. But I wonder, do we present the option that they might not get married? Or is that only if it doesn't happen, then we'll start bigging that up? How are we as parents? Parents, when you think about your children, do you want them to be single or married? What's in our heart around this? What are we aspiring to for our children? And how are we preparing them? Because if, if we mean this, if, if, if there's no second bests in God's kingdom... What are we doing to help people and to shape what they might experience? Have we encouraged them to consider how rich their life can be serving God as a single person and in his fulfillment? Let's not prepare for them to be seen that this is the left behind option. We need to be modeling to our children and our young people. And this is where it all overlaps again, that whole intergenerational world that we live in where we can share with one another. Do you know, I have some brilliant friends who are single and they're part of our lives and they're part of our family and our kids love them to bits. I feel blessed for having them in our lives. Our lives are richer because they're there. But do you know what I really love is our kids are getting to see people living with all their heart. They're not, they're not sitting twiddling their thumbs, waiting for something better to come along. They are living wholeheartedly, and I love that. They are seeing an example of how to do life really well. We've talked about singleness being a gift, and I, I imagine that for some of you, you're going, yeah, it's a gift. Do you know? But... Like all gifts, we need to know the person. You need to know the giver, but we need to know the person. For me to stand and tell you it's a gift, do you know, for some of you, it just does not feel that way. How much the gift is treasured will depend on the recipient. For many, they don't want this gift. And so we recognize that it is sensitive, but we need to hear the truth too. And we want to hear the positive message in here too. Lastly then, um, we've touched on it a wee bit already, but our odd numbers. Do you know, let's embrace the odd numbers. Let's not have it all tidy and ordered with even numbers. Do you know, one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, 
one of our friends said, it's okay to invite just me. It's okay to invite just me to something. As a single, sometimes you may feel lonely and isolated. But I want to affirm you this morning that you are valued. You have something to offer the world around you. You are of deep interest to the family of God and to your heavenly Father. All of us, let's get together. Let's not be all tidy and neatly packaged, but let's recognize the odd numbers and embrace the odd numbers. As we finish, um, we've talked through there a number of things. I would just love you maybe to have a think about how you might reflect on these questions as you leave here today. So as we've talked about our ABC, our attitude, behavior, and commitment, what is it that you need to do in your setting? What is it that you need to deal with? And secondly, in those O's, in opening up our lives, and in the overlaps, and in the out of the box, in the options, and in the odd numbers, what's the practical stuff, technical term there, stuff? What's the practical stuff that you can take with you and implement today? Just as we finish there's one piece of inf- I, I feel like as I asked, as we asked our friends and family to give us the comments, I genuinely feel like we have started a conversation in our setting around marriage and singleness and was really honoured by the, the comments and the questions and the thoughts that people presented back to us. But there's a letter that we got from someone. We just want to read this to you as we finish. And you'll maybe, Alwyn will read it in a moment. It's from someone who is single. And there is so much in here, both for singles and for marriage, we're going to push through the noise, okay? We're going to find a place of quiet and we're going to listen um, to this letter from our single friend. Dear married people in the church, I pray for you often. I know how hard marriage can be. The world is watching movies that make out like falling in love will make the rest of your life a breeze. But I've grown up in a home where marriage was not a fairy tale. Some days one person put more effort in than the other, and I saw the heartbreak that that can cause. I have cried with family and friends as their marriage was torn apart by circumstances beyond repair or without a chance to fix it. I have supported couples as they feel like they just can't do marriage anymore, and they wonder how they can get out or fix it. I see the huge commitment that it takes to make it work. I see the courage that is required. I have also seen marriage at its best. I've seen two people come together in the hardest circumstances and bear each other's burdens, walk with each other and genuinely bring joy to one another's lives. I've seen couples pray together, lead together and serve together in a way that is only possible through love, respect and devotion to one another. The kind only found in marriage. I thank God for marriage, for the perfect design he has for it, for the huge blessing it is to the couple, for the huge blessing it is to the church, for the amazing example it is to our love-deprived culture. Maybe someday I'll get to experience the gift of God-ordained marriage. For now, I rejoice for those who are married. I thank God for marriage. Pray for me, a single Christian 20-something. I'm in that phase of life when one by one my friends are getting engaged, getting married and having children. There are, of course, days when I ask God why he hasn't given me those things. However, I want you to know that singleness is a gift to me as marriage is to you. I have opportunities to explore the world. I can invest in so many relationships. I have joy. I love. I am loved. I am enough. I find my worth and my identity in God, not in my relationship status. I'm not spending every day waiting for God to send Prince Charming. I instead pray, Lord, if you want me to be married, then I'm willing. But if you're calling me to be single, then thank you. But some days it's hard to be single. It's hard to make decisions alone. It's hard to go home alone at the end of a difficult day at work. So I need you, my married friends, as well as the single ones, to be there for me and to let me share in your family life. I want my married friends not to be awkward about my singleness or wonder why I'm not married or worst of all, pity my singleness. I want you to see my singleness as I do as a gift and an opportunity to serve God differently than those who are married. I want you to share with me the joy of being married and I will share with you the joy of being single. 
Let's not compare them, but celebrate them both. God ordains both and uses both to glorify him. I thank God for marriage, but I thank God for singleness too. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, We have started a conversation. I encourage you to do what you can to continue that conversation in your setting. And if you'd like to keep in touch with us as an organization, there's a little QR code here. You can take your phone. We can keep you in touch with what we are doing and how we can support you in your settings. Uh, We've got some information here about Love for Life. And there's also, we could maybe pop them down there. There's a free recipe book for everybody who came today. A little cheeky title, Love Bites, full of sweet treats um, and things that you can cook at home, a little gift for you to take home just to bring some sweetness into your life. Let me just pray as we finish. Sorry, we've run slightly over. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do thank you that you are a good God and we thank you for each person here. Um, And Lord, I pray that as you have prompted us this morning to think about your model for marriage, to think about how you view us as singles. Lord, I pray that you would give us really practical, tangible ways that we can put some of this into practice. May we be a people who are known for how we love you and how we love one another. May we open up our arms and may we invite to our table. And Lord, would you prompt us in ways that you need us to change and in ways that you want to affirm us this morning. Thank you that you love us, that you're a good God. And I pray for every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen.